again, welcome to Freedom. It sure is good to see you here today. And I will invite our children now who are in the sixth grade and below. They can follow Miss Lynn, our children's minister, around to the Kids World uh, wing for their teaching time. To those of you who are joining us online, we are sure glad to have you be a part of uh, the Freedom Experience today. It really does mean a lot to us for you to join in that way. And we especially want to warmly welcome all of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We love you and we celebrate what God is doing among you. We have uh, yet to hear the report from this morning, but uh, we uh, look forward to hearing that. It's an important day. It's it's not just a matter of dedicating the new building, though that is a big deal, but uh, the celebration around that, uh, we're we're just so grateful for what's happening there. It is so good for me to be back with you today, and I want to just thank you so much for your prayers and love and encouragement for our family through the course of the past couple of weeks. It has not been an easy season, but it has sure been made easier to have a family like you loving and, and praying for us. So thank you for that. It's meant a lot and continues to. And uh, I confess to you that um, I, I certainly feel the love and presence of God in ways that are, are hard to define, but that are so very noticeable. And yet, uh, to be completely honest, I feel like my tank is so empty right now. Not empty spiritually. I mean, God's God is good, and He continues to, to pour in good stuff. But uh, if I'm completely honest, I'm still at that stage where throughout our, our leadership team time and the worship time, I was fighting the urge to throw up, just, just still that knotted up inside. I hate that. I wish you could just turn that off. But uh, that's, that's kind of where I am. But, you know, I was just thinking right before coming up here, that's not such a bad place to be because it is a good reminder that I am at the end of me, and I tend to get in the way of Jesus a lot. And on the occasions when he can ever get enough of me out of the way, he's usually got more room to show up, and, and he always does that really well. So I just rest in, in uh, what he wants to do today. I do want to say thank you to uh, our, our leadership team and the guys who uh, – covered everything last week. I very much appreciate that. It's so cool to know that we have solid leaders and that the church certainly doesn't depend on me that when I walk away that uh, things are in good hands. And who knew? Tony just can switch hit and uh, just jump in. Great job. My mama knew. Yeah, my mama knew. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, if I ever switch hit and fill in for you, we will know Jesus has shown up. Y'all will probably want to miss that day if that ever happens. We are desperate if that happens. Well, we are in the uh, second installment, or I guess after last week would be the third installment of this uh, series on prayer. And uh, I'll invite you, if you will, to pull out your outlines with me. I'm going to be sharing with you a message that's entitled, Who Do You Think You're Talking To? Have you ever had the experience of calling someone on the phone or someone calling you on the phone and not knowing who's on the other end, and you're having to begin a conversation without being sure of who the other party is. I actually had a church member call me recently, and uh, after the fact, I was clearly aware that he didn't know who he had. He thought he had called somebody else. I, I figured out along the way who he thought he was talking to, but he didn't know he had his pastor. And he was upset. He was irate. Not at me, thankfully, but uh, it was a little bit of fun. I wasn't trying to mess with him, 
But it still ended up being kind of fun because from the time I answered the phone, he was just like a dam that had been breached, just letting loose what was on his mind. And I thought from the get-go, you know, I mean, with cell phones, I, I saw who was calling me, so I knew who I was talking with. And I, I'm thinking he knows he's talking to me. But from the get-go, it's just the tone of his voice and the way that he's talking. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know he's talking to his preacher right now because he is just letting loose. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'm not offended by anything, but uh, I bet that this is not the way you'd be talking if you just realized who you're talking to. Not that I'm more spiritual than anybody else, but, you know, we adjust our conversation to who it is. And I'm thinking, I could play with this. I could really mess with him, but I'm going to try and help him out. So I started trying to say some things really clearly to help him recognize this is not who you think it is. And it's so funny, about halfway through the conversation, when he finally got through venting enough that he paused to listen, you could tell by his tone that he kind of went, oh, (laughs) that's not who I think. He never said Oh, I thought you were so-and-so. He just completely changed his tone and then had a regular conversation with me. But it, it flipped like a switch when it finally dawned on him, Oh, I was completely mistaken about who it was I thought I was talking to. We're all that way, aren't we? We completely adjust the way that we talk depending on who it is we're talking with. Jackie and I kind of, it's almost a game with us when the other one answers the phone to listen and see how quickly you can figure out who they're talking to just based on how they talk, the tone that they use, and just the way that they are with them. And we can't help it. We all do that. We are a particular way with other people based on who they are or what we think about them. And we all do it, whether we realize it or not. Well, that same principle holds true in terms of how we talk to God. Who it is you think you're talking to when you pray so tremendously impacts how you pray. How often you pray, how long you pray, what happens when you pray. In fact, the first thing that I said in the outline is this. Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything else in your life, including how you pray. Do you believe that? Oh, it really does. Nothing influences your life more than your view of God. Who it is that you understand God to be. And so I wanted to just for a moment pause to consider some of the ways that we view God that are off base. Let me just offer to you seven different common misconceptions about who God is. I want you to see if you recognize any of these. Maybe as I name these, you'll think of people that you're like, oh, I I know this person. This is how they talk about God. You may recognize some of the ways that you have thought of God, but here are seven. We could could name far more. The first one is grumpy God. That's a God who's always cranky. He's always looking for a reason to be upset at you, and you can never please him. Some people see God as grumpy God or crouching tiger God. He's always waiting for an opportunity to pounce on you for what you've done wrong that was out of line. Or maybe flaky father God. That's the one who's always moody and who's continually changing his mind about you or what it is that that he wants from you. Some people see God as being like that. Maybe you've seen God as the cosmic cop God. You know that, that version of God? 
that he's always about the rules. Got to make sure that you follow the rules, that you obey the law, that you stay within the boundaries, and he's going to get you if you cross the line. Or what about the dictator God? The God who's always demanding more and more, and he's always sort of unreachable, and you're going to have a hard time ever feeling like you've completely satisfied a dictator God. Or maybe you're more familiar with the concept of the Santa Claus God. You know, he's making a list and checking it twice, and he's always going to know who's naughty or nice, and that's Santa Claus God. And we've all known people who believe in Plato God or Silly Putty God or Mr. Potato Head God. They're all the same. It's the God who becomes whatever you make of him, whatever you need for him to be, whatever you, you just choose to see him to be. You know, what I believe about God is, what I understand God to, to be is, and then we just sort of stretch him into what we need for him to be. You ever known anybody who, who behaves that way when it comes to God or talks that way about God? To that one, you want to say, it really doesn't matter what you, what you decide that you need for God to be because all that really matters is who he really is. It's not our perception that matters so much, but our perception does matter for us. It really impacts a lot. A.W. Tozer, the great pastor and uh, publisher of the middle part of the 20th century from the um, Christian Missionary Alliance, he said this, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. Think about that one for a minute. Do you believe that? I mean, does that make sense for you? That what comes to mind for you when you think about God is really the single most important thing about you because that really does filter down and impact every relationship, every part of your life. So then the question becomes, what is God really like? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say about what God is really like. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He's compassionate. He's gentle. He's all of these things. He is loving. But the one thing that we're going to talk about above everything else today is that God is always, always good. Now that may sound like the most tame and vanilla thing that we could say, but here's what you got to know. Until you become convinced in your heart of hearts that God truly always is good and you can trust Him to be and do what is good, it will mess with your mind and it will mess up your prayer life. David said in Psalm 100, the Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. The goodness of God is the basis of all prayer. Now we get tangled up when things come our way that really impact us or they really impact the people that we love. And those things are not good. Can we all agree that we've had major things happen to us or to people that we love that are not good? Would everybody agree with that? This isn't a setup question. I know in church sometimes we're like, I'm afraid to say yes to that because then the preacher's going to come back and show me what a fool I was for saying yes. This is not a setup question. There are lots of things that happen that are not good. And that creates problems for us because we say, okay, if there is a, 
a good and loving God, and He is supremely powerful, and He reigns over everything. And I talk to Him about major things in my life or in the lives of the people that I love, and I'm asking Him to bring a good outcome, and that doesn't happen. Then how is that God good? If He really is in control of everything, and if it wouldn't put Him out to be able to intervene and to do what I need Him to do here, how can He always be good when there are such bad things that happen? Can you agree that creates a real problem for us? Oh, it does for every one of us. The only way that doesn't create a dilemma for us is if we live in denial at times, because that is a difficult thing for us to have to deal with, and it happens to all of us. We wrestle with the question of how is there so much evil? How is there so much bad stuff that happens in a world where a good God is in control if he is indeed a good God? Well, he is a good God. And that dilemma for us, part of what we have to understand in that is the mystery is not how is there evil in a world where a good God is in control. The mystery is how is there good in a world that is populated by people who have such a bent toward evil? Because the, the simple explanation in this is we live in a world where first of all there is the presence of very real evil unseen evil is personal it is intelligent and it is an army it's organized there's evil in the world and beyond that unseen army of evil that is the demonic there is all of humanity and every single one of us have evil in our hearts we are made in the image of god but we carry this duality in us while we're made in the image of god we still are, are born in the flesh, and we have all of this bent towards things that don't please God, and God is not a dictator who is saying, I'm going to make you do good. He says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose what to do, and we choose so frequently to do what we want instead of what God wants. And so in a world where you have billions of people who do wrong, in a world that's populated by unseen evil, the miracle isn't that there's evil in the world. The miracle is that there is good in that world. And the only reason that there is good is because there is a good God who intervenes time and time again. He doesn't force good into every situation because we haven't come to that point in time where everything is good. That's going to be called heaven. And don't you long for that. Boy, the last couple of weeks have made my heart long for heaven more and more. I want us to be done with suffering. We're not there yet. But there is a good God in control who we can trust. And because God is always good, there are four things that I want to leave you with you today that you can know, that you can hold on to, that really will give you comfort. And, and everything I'm going to share today is good news. Could you use a little good news today? There isn't going to be any bad news on this. This is a good news message. Four things that you can count on because God is always good. And the first one is this. Because God is always good. His plans for my life will always be good. You know, one of those philosophical kind of trick questions that you get asked in college and other places is, is there anything that God can't do? Well, it's a sucker question because, you know, a Christian wants to immediately go, no, there's nothing God couldn't do. Well, obviously there are a lot of things God can't do. That's why it's a sucker question. Can God make a mountain so high that he can't climb it? No, he can't. I mean, there are all kinds of things God can't do. God can't lie because God is truth. God can't do evil because God is always righteous. God can't do wrong because God is inherently good. These don't limit the greatness of God. These don't limit the, 
the power of God. These are just philosophical arguments. But we can rest in the fact that because God is always good, He's always going to do good toward us. He will never, he'll never have a bad day where He just goes, I am just sick to death of having to fool with you. And today you're going to get the cranky side of me. I mean, we do that, don't we? In our own experience, we can be the steadiest of people, but sometimes we just get to the point where the tank is empty, we've just had enough, and whoever bumps up against us the wrong way, they're going to get the rough end of the deal today because we've just had enough. God never has those days. He's never going to have an off day. So he's never going to give you the cruel version of himself. David said in Psalm thirty-one, nineteen. How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you have given to those who trust you. You do this for all to see. That's just a wonderful promise, isn't it? That not only is God completely good, but that out of his goodness, he has stored up all of these good things for you and me. When I read that verse, I think about growing up as a child and a in a healthy family, parents who were good to us. And my absolute favorite time of the year, and this has never changed, was Christmas. It's my favorite time for a lot of reasons, but one of the big ones doesn't sound very spiritual. It's the same reason that most kids love Christmas. I loved it because there are these piles of beautiful packages underneath the Christmas tree, and some of them had my name on them. And as a kid, I knew that I never had to worry that any of those packages we're going to be filled with coal or rocks or bricks or you know some cruel gift that were simply designed to get my hopes up only to disappoint me on Christmas morning when I opened them. Why did I have that confidence? Well, it was because I had good parents. I knew that they loved me. Their track record was solid. They were only going to give me good gifts. And so as we would get closer and closer to Christmas every year, the pile of gifts would grow bigger and bigger. And it's like, wow, the, the good things that are reserved for me, the pile is just getting greater. I can't wait to see the good things that mom and dad have in store for me. Well, this is the Christmas verse for us. God is so good that he is stockpiling the good things that he has for you. But he, he doesn't say just for everybody in the world. He does have a little qualifier in this, doesn't he? Stored up for those who fear you, that is, who, who honor you and respect you, and those who trust you. These are people who enter into a relationship with God by choosing to trust in this God who has made a way through Jesus' death and resurrection that we could know him. But it's interesting to know that while God is good and he has all of these good things for us, it's not automatic that we receive all of those good things. James points out very simply why we miss out on so many of the things that God has stockpiled for us. He says simply, you have not because you ask not. Don't you think it would be a bummer to get to heaven one day and for God to ever like pull back curtain number three and say, here's all the stuff I wanted so much to give to you and do for you if you just would have ever asked. I mean, that would be a big time bummer right there. I mean, I don't think it's going to spoil heaven, but there'd be at least a moment in heaven where I'd be going, shoot, are you kidding me? I could have experienced all of that on earth. And the Lord's going to be going, I just wanted you to trust me and to ask me for these things. 
because I had so much good prepared for you. Well, in a year like 2020, it doesn't feel like a year that God's got a lot stockpiled good for us, does it? It's, it's easy for us to, to get our thinking and perspective a little skewed and to begin to believe the, the garbage that 2020 is all about God being mad. And so this is the year of God's wrath. This is the year that God's taking us all to the woodshed. Don't you buy it. Don't you buy that. You see, a a season of a bit of difficulty, a season of rough water, makes it very tempting for us to begin to believe something different about God. God must be mad at us. This is God's way of punishing us because He's mad at us. If you're a child of God, He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's crazy about you. We misunderstand the nature and the character of God if we look at a year where things have been a little crazy. Remember, we're in a broken, fallen world. Our climate is broken. Our leadership is broken. Our bodies are broken. We experience things like disease and pandemic and economic breakdown and political breakdown because we still live on this side of heaven right now. And sometimes our brokenness sort of stacks on top of one another in such a way that a particular year can just feel like, oh, the sky is falling. Can I just tell you, it's happened to generation after generation after generation. And by the way, if you know your history books, there are other generations that have had it fall on them a lot worse than it's fallen on us in 2020. So don't let this screw up your theology about a good God who's in control. I'm not trying to belittle what we've gone through this year. There have been some real hardships, but it doesn't change the goodness of God. We just need to hold on to a healthy perspective about how good God is in the midst of difficult times. Remember the great promise of Romans 8.28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Remember the distinction. It doesn't just say all things work together for the good. It says God works all things together for the good. It doesn't mean everything that happens is what was supposed to happen. And that makes them good things. No, 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 not at all. All kinds of unfortunate things, all kinds of tragic things happen. And God is so incredibly wise. He is so incredibly sovereign that he can take even the bad and the tragic and somehow work them into his overall plan so that even those things wind up resulting in good. It's like... Think about when you make a cake. I mean, have you ever considered what goes into a cake? Let me tell you, I love some cake. There aren't many sweets I don't love. When I married Jackie, it became evident really fast. I was going to weigh 400 pounds by the second anniversary if she kept cooking the way. She loves to bake. She's one of those, she would bake at least two or three times a week when nothing was going on. She would just bake cake, cookies, all this stuff. I'm like, if you don't stop, I won't be able to get in the door. She just, she is a good cook, and she baked all the time. The funny thing about baking is all of these wonderful things that would come out, and she can make a pound cake that will make you slap your mama. It is so good, and I love pound cake. The funny thing about that pound cake is if you sample what goes into it, so much of it is not good. I mean, when's the last time you just got a good spoonful of flour? Nasty stuff. Or maybe baking soda. Go home and take a good dose of that. That'll ruin your appetite for lunch. How about some 
vanilla extract. You ever just want to turn up and take a big swig of that? No, thank you. Anybody dying on raw eggs for breakfast this morning? Don't think so unless you're rocky. That's just not good stuff. And yet you put all these things together and then you work in some things like melted butter and sugar. You get all that in the batter. You mix it up right and you cook it up and you have this wonderful outcome. All of these peculiar, bitter, bad-tasting things mixed in with some good, and if somebody knows what they're doing, you get this great outcome. This is what God does. He is so good that he'll take all the bad and the bitter, and he'll mix it in the batter and make you better. Remember that one. He'll take the bitter in your batter and make you better. He works it in that way. We, at our house, we do Green Chef, the mail order thing. Any of y'all do any of these delivery services, you know, where they'll send you like three meals a week and it's, it's exactly proportioned and it's healthy food. It's really healthy. And it's mostly good, but it's really healthy. Jackie's trying to keep me from weighing 400 pounds, so we do Green Chef. And it's a really good thing, but we have noticed over time that sometimes, and particularly during the pandemic, it's kind of thrown them off at times, that sometimes they'll like get the ingredients mixed up or they'll send you the wrong stuff and it's just you know, very specifically spelled out and they send you exactly what you need. And sometimes they mix it up and they'll throw in the wrong things. Like you've got the completely wrong vegetables to make this. Jackie's a really good cook. And the thing that amazes me is she'll take whatever they send and even if they've completely mixed up the ingredients that are there, there are things that should never have been there, she'll end up serving a wonderful meal out of whatever they sent. Because she can take the wrong things, jazz it up, spice it up, cook it up, and serve this wonderful meal out of whatever was there. And I just think that's a little bit of a picture of how the goodness of God is expressed in our lives. There are things that we choose and sometimes things that we had no choice in whatsoever. But either way, there are some bad things that happen. And God is so good that he'll say, yeah, that never should have been included. That never should have happened. But that's okay. I know exactly how to slice and saute that and work that in. And things are still going to be fine. Yeah, that accident, I sure didn't want that to happen. But... I still know how to bring good out of that. That loss, oh, that's going to hurt. It's going to take time, but I'm still going to work good out of that. He is so good, we can trust him to actually work something better, even in spite of the bitter. Joseph understood this probably as well as anyone. You ever think about Joseph's experience when you're going through hard times? I mean, this joker, first of all, he grew up in a family that was so dysfunctional, his brothers hated him. I mean, hated him. You want to talk about dysfunctional family. I mean, you may have thought your kids didn't get along, but how many of you had some of your kids sell off one of your brothers and sisters so that you didn't see them again for decades? I mean, that's pretty dysfunctional. That's exactly what they did. Thought about killing him. He gets sold as a slave, carried to another country, serves as a slave for an extended period of time, and then he's accused of rape, which he didn't commit, and he gets thrown in prison because of that. So now he's been accused of rape sold as a slave, and now he serves years in prison having done no wrong. Would you say that's some bitter that's happened to Joseph? It's all kinds of bitter, but 
God is figuring out how he's going to work all of that in a way that's going to result in good. And sure enough, God delivers him from being a prisoner and elevates him to the second highest position in all of Egypt right underneath Pharaoh and uses him to save the lives of countless people through a terrible season of famine, including his own family back in the Holy Land. And when he's confronted with these scoundrel, dirty dog brothers of his who who sold him and who started this stone rolling down the hill that caused so much pain, loss, and grief in his life, and he finally has an opportunity to pay them back for what they've done. Don't you know it would have been so tempting? Don't you know there had to be moments in prison when he was thinking, if I ever see those low-down, no-good brothers of mine, I will make them pay. You know that crosses his mind at some point. But when he's confronted with them, what he said in response was, you intended harm for me, but God intended it all for what? For good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. That's what a good God does. He takes the worst things that come your way, and he still works good out of them. And sometimes in our lives, we suffer because of other people. Sometimes we suffer because of other people's choices. I mean, we do plenty of suffering because of our own bad choices, but sometimes the hardest suffering can be where we didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else did, and we suffer, and God still is committed to working that for good. That's called redemptive suffering, by the way, and that's what Jesus did. When we want to throw a pity party for ourselves because we're suffering because of what others did, you just remember... This is exactly what Jesus did. He suffered only for what others had done. Redemptive suffering. The second thing that you can count on about the goodness of God, because God is good, we can know that he gives me what I need and not what I deserve. Somebody say amen to that. That is good news, isn't it? If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be here. And neither would you. Because we deserve hell. We deserve to be banished. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, 10 through 12, We sinned against him, but we didn't get the punishment we deserved. His love for his followers is as high above us as heaven is above the earth. And he has taken our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Friends, remember this. The cross is the backdrop for everything else we experience in life. Because it's, it's always going to be tempting in the difficult times, to just look at that experience and go, well, I don't see how God loves me or how God could care while this is going on. Well, if you'll see in the background Jesus and the cross and Jesus saying, this is how much I love you. I will die for you. Well, then it's really far easier to recognize, okay, I don't know why this is happening in my life right now, but I do not question the love of God or the goodness of God in my life if he paid this price for me. You think about David. David is a picture of someone who screwed up every big way you can can screw up. He's guilty of murder, adultery. He's a liar. I mean, if we're making a list of things you better never do, he's, he's checked all the big boxes, hasn't he? And yet David realized that he could still go to God and trust in the goodness of God because the goodness of God was not dependent on the goodness of David. If you ever want to know where to go in the Scripture when you've really blown it, Psalm 51 is a great starting point. That's David when he's just 
crying out to God for mercy and help when he realizes just how much he's blown it. David understood this one fundamental principle. I didn't put this in your outline, but you may want to write it down because this is an important thought. That God forgives you not because you are good, but because he is good. God forgives you not because you're good, not because you're trying harder, but because he is good. So many times we don't feel forgiven until we've convinced ourselves that we've really gotten better and that we'll really always do better. And God's forgiveness of you was never contingent upon you being good or doing better. It was always just contingent upon God being good. Isn't that good news? Because I want to tell you, I can't get good enough to, to pay for all the junk that I've done in my life. I would need ten lifetimes to try and get it right, and then that wouldn't do it. He summed it up this way in Psalm 27. David said, even if my father and mother abandoned me. Okay, you have been bad in, on that day, haven't you? Have you ever just screwed up so bad that you think if my mom and dad could see me right now, they'd be ashamed of me and want to disown me? I mean, that, this is your darkest point. Even if mama and daddy just wouldn't want anything to do with me. The Lord will hold me close. Would you just meditate on that for a moment? Let's personalize that. What's the, don't say it out loud, but what's the worst you've ever done? What is your worst shame story? When did you blow it worse than at any other time in your life? You'd like to disown yourself in that moment, wouldn't you? Some of you are thinking, oh, I'd die if my mom and dad knew about what I did in that moment. And David said, you know what? In that moment, God wants to hold me close. Can you even get your head around that? That's a struggle for me to imagine because I imagine God in His perfection, in His holiness saying, Get it together. Straighten up your act. I'm not going to have any of that. It is so hard to picture that the grace of God and the love of God is so great that He says, I I know about what you've done, but that's been paid for in full by Jesus at the cross. And so, son, I want you to come close. It's only in here that we can deal with those things. Good news. I don't get what I deserve. I get what I need. The Lord will hold me close. My enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, yet I am confident. I will see what? I will see the Lord's goodness while I am still here in the land of the living. David got it. I don't just have to wait for heaven. He's saying, here, now, in this life, yes, me, David, the guy who is an adulterer, a liar, a murderer, and this isn't figurative language. I have done these things. You can't find a dirtier dog than what I have been in my life, and yet I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of God here in the land of the living. And we look at that and go, how in the world does that work? God is going to bless this guy. I want to tell you, yes, he's going to bless that guy. I mean, you're going to look at him and go, holy smoke, he got more for Christmas than anybody ever has. This must be the love, most loved kid on the planet. God was crazy about David. You know what was so special between David and God? He understood and got the goodness of God and the grace of God. 
David didn't count on having to be good enough to deserve it. He loved God and he loved the goodness and the grace of God. That God would give him not what he deserved, but what he needed. And you and I have access to that too. That's good news. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, Jesus, the Son of God, understands our weakness. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. You may be thinking at this point, isn't this supposed to be a sermon about prayer? Oh, it's very much about prayer. This is a foundational concept about prayer. That passage is about prayer. But he's getting at the thing that becomes a hindrance to us in prayer. If we think that what we receive from God is contingent upon us being good enough to deserve good from God, then we're almost never going to pray boldly. Wouldn't you agree with that? If in order for me to receive from God, I've got to be good enough to deserve it from God, I'm not ever going to see anything come as a result of my prayer because I'm never good enough. But the writer said, Jesus has been there and done that. He knows how hard this life is. He knows how difficult of a struggle this is. He doesn't look at you and go, shame on you. I just can't believe that you struggle with what you do. He goes, I know exactly how that feels. Father, help them. Give them what they need. And he said, when you pray, you can come with boldness and confidence because Jesus gets it. And he wants you to get it. He wants you to get what you need. A third thing that you can count on because of the goodness of God is that he puts my good above his own good. That doesn't even sound right, does it? I mean, doesn't that sound almost theologically off? That he puts my good and your good ahead of his own good, and yet that is the heart of the gospel. Here's the, you don't know the difference between the gospel and a great fairy tale? Is in the fairy tales, the king is so great that all of the peasants are willing to die for him. We have such a great king, we'll all go and fight and die for him. The gospel flips that whole thing around. The king is so great that he dies for all the peasants. He dies so that the peasants can live. He dies so that his great riches become their riches. That's no fairy tale. That's the real deal. Everybody in the fairy tales lives for the good of the king. And in reality, the king puts the good of the peasants ahead of his own good. The gospel is the embodiment of that story. Oh, it would have been to Jesus' benefit to skip earth, to skip the cross. Because it was so real, it was so overwhelming, it was so painful. But he said, I'm so much concerned for you. I love you so much that I'll put your good ahead of my own good. That's the goodness of God toward you and me. Romans 5.25 says he died for our sins and he rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. You know, every time you see a cross, whether it's in a place of worship or hanging on a wall or hanging on somebody's neck, you just remember that is a symbol of the goodness of God. That is just a little picture of the grace and the love of God. And it's a reminder of the great exchange. The great exchange was not that I come and I bring my best to God and I 
I get what I deserve in return. That has nothing to do with the gospel. The great exchange is a good God comes and gives his very best in spite of us having nothing to offer. He takes on our sin and gives us the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. He puts our good ahead of his own. Romans 8.32 says, God didn't spare his own son, but handed him over to death for us all. So we, so he will also get, um, give us everything along with him. Do you follow the logic of that verse and how that impacts the way that we pray? He says, you know, the greatest need that you ever had was the issue of your sin and how screwed up you were. It was going to ruin your life. It was going to ruin your relationships. It was certainly going to keep you cut off from God for all of eternity. I'd say those are pretty big problems, wouldn't you? And he says, he gave the life of his son, Jesus, so that that could be addressed. Will he also not give you everything else you need? I mean, do you follow the logic of that? I mean, it's it's a little bit like with your kids. You paid for everything they needed all the years that they were growing up. And suppose you were like incredibly wealthy and generous and you paid for their college education and you paid for their first car and you paid for their first house. And now you've met them at Waffle House for breakfast and they look at you at the end of breakfast and say, oh, dad, I forgot my wallet. What are we going to do? And your kid panics in that moment like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to wash the dishes. I'm going to go to jail because I can't pay my bill. What am I going to do? You wouldn't do that because that kid, more than anybody else, is going to say, well, my goodness. I mean, if dad over here, if mom and dad paid for everything I ever needed, they paid for college, they paid for my car and my house, I think they can cover some scrambled eggs and hash browns. Well, in the same sense, if God has paid for everything you need in life, if he's taken care of all of these overwhelming issues with the death and resurrection of his son, do you think he's going to be outdone with helping you with your power bill this month? Do you think he's just going to be overwhelmed with the issue of what am I going to do about my roof and I don't have the the money to pay my deductible? How are we going to get through this? I don't want to stretch God too far. God has already shown how generous he is. Will he not also with Christ give us everything that we need? So pray boldly, confidently, knowing that it's, not, it's about what you need, not what you deserve. And the fourth thing that we can know based on the goodness of God is that he's not going to say yes to every request. Rest assured, that line's not going to get amens, ever. But because God is always good, you can rest in knowing that he's not going to say yes to everything that you request, and we can say thank you, God, for that. Have you ever been around a child, an adolescent, or worse still, an adult, whose parents always said yes? You ever been around that? I have. I can't stand those people. I mean, we've got words for people like that. Spoiled brat comes to mind. Terrible adult, usually awful spouse. People who've been given everything that they ever ask for make for horrible friends and the worst kinds of husbands and wives. You never want to marry somebody like that because you will never be able to give them enough. Because it ruins them to get everything they ever ask for. 
God is a father who is good enough. He's so good to be very thoughtful about giving us what we need. That means he's not going to say yes to every request. The Bible never promised that you'd get everything that you ask for no matter what your motive. No loving parent would do that. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about when we ask God for something, the different ways that God's going to answer. And he's always going to answer. You can count on that. God answers every time you ask. And I said a couple of weeks ago, I said there's really three ways that God answers you. But if you want to nitpick, there's, there's really kind of, in a way you could say there's four. I didn't put this in your outline. If you want to jot this down, it's simple enough. But if you want to consider four ways that God is going to answer when you ask him to do something or to supply something, here's the four. First of all, if we're asking for the wrong thing, it seems like the right thing. We're praying the best we know how to pray. We're asking, but we don't realize that we're asking for the wrong thing. God is good, and we can rest in knowing that he's going to say no. Easy enough. We don't get excited about that, but there's real comfort in that. Sometimes I'm not going to pray for the right stuff, and God is just so good. He's going to say no, even though I'm going, oh, God, but I need it, and I'm begging you for it. God's going, I know, and I love you, but no. Sometimes we're asking for the right thing, but the timing isn't right. We can't see that, but God does. And it's not that we don't want the right thing. God wants it, but it's not yet time for it. And so instead of saying no, God says slow. It's not, it's not a no, and maturity is recognizing the difference. Maturity is knowing to continue to trust God and pray and wait. It's not happening yet, but there's nothing inside of you that's saying, I'm praying for the wrong thing. God isn't saying no. God's just saying slow. It's just going to be a little slower, and when the time is right, it's going to happen. There is a third condition where we're praying for the right thing, and it's not that the timing is wrong. God is completely ready to do what we're asking for, We are not ready for it yet. We've got some growing to do. There are some things that need to change in us. And God sees that. And God is very much concerned about that. And most of the time, he's even more concerned about us than he is about the thing that we're asking for. And in that circumstance, God isn't saying no. What God is saying is grow. And there's not some moment in time that he's saying and when we get to this hour on this day i'll give you what you're asking for no god is saying i'll give it just as soon as you start making some adjustments and pressing in and growing i've got to grow you to the point that you're ready to receive this thing and then there's a fourth set of circumstances and that's when we're praying for the right thing and the timing is right and we're right and god's just been waiting for us to ask and he says go it's it's time. All we needed was for somebody to ask and believe, and it's going to happen. And God is good in every one of those circumstances. Would you agree? God is good with every one of those replies. They're all legitimate answers. Jesus said in Luke 11, 11 and following, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your, more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point is, God is a good, good Father. And he only gives good gifts to his children. And we can trust him with that. 
But here's the real hard part. Can you still trust the goodness of God when you don't see God doing what you feel so surely that you need for him to do? Everybody walks through those seasons. Good heavens, we're living in the middle of one. I mean, the last several weeks have just been a very personal time of going to school in this, this whole area of life. The drama for us really started seven weeks ago when Whitney, our oldest daughter, at the midpoint of her pregnancy, 20 weeks in, went in for what was supposed to be just that midpoint checkup to find out the sex of the child and they got all kinds of, of really troubling news about major anomalies with the child, brain, heart, umbilical cord and other things. And so we just began to just pray, pray, pray day and night. Lord, heal this child. Please heal this child. Please make all of that right. And we were believing God for that, continuing to believe God for that. Five weeks ago today on Sunday afternoon after church, Whitney contacted Jackie. Jackie's an RN and used to be a labor and delivery nurse and thankfully had insight into what was going on. And she said, I'm having some weird symptoms. Some things are going on. She described that to her. Jackie looks at me and she's like, she needs to get to the hospital right now. And she messaged her and said, get hold of your doctor immediately, even though it's a Sunday. If you tell them what's going on, they will recognize it. They will tell you where to get to. She did. They immediately said, get to the hospital right now. Got to the hospital and they said, you're not going home. You will not go home until you deliver. And we're thinking, you're, you've still got 15 weeks to go. And they said, well, we're going to try and get you nine weeks further in before we take the baby. So we start praying two weeks ago, Lord. This is really severe with Whitney. Please protect her health. But please protect the baby. Please give them the nine weeks that they need here. Well, nine weeks only made it to six days. We're praying every day, oh, God, just please hold things in here we need for this baby to make it. Know, several more weeks made it six days and at that point things are just going off the trains off the tracks for Whitney and so Saturday yesterday a week ago they had to do an emergency c-section to keep Whitney from having a stroke or heart attack and when the baby came we were praying for all kinds of things to be healed and she arrived with more complications than what we had been told in advance everything that we had been told was very much still an issue and additional things were found. Kidneys were underdeveloped. Numerous holes in, the, in her lungs, hole in her heart. Uh, hydrocephalus, just a, a lot of different things going on, stacked up against the baby. And now we're eight days into that. Praying and praying and praying. Just God, please, please take care of mom. Please touch and heal this baby. And we're still doing that. Many of you are standing with us and have been. We're so grateful for that. I'm just going to say out loud the really hard part of this deal. We are trusting God to do what doctors can't do. Doctors can't fix this stuff. We're asking God to do the only thing that seems to make sense, that seems to be good and right. And we are, we are doing that in faith. God is a good father. He gives good gifts. And we're trusting him to bring good. But what if it doesn't play out the way that we're praying? And I know some people are saying, but you shouldn't say that. You, you shouldn't say that. I'm going to say it out loud. 
Because you have to wrestle with these kinds of things in your life too. What if it doesn't go the way that we're praying? Does that mean that prayer doesn't work? Does that mean that God is any less good? Or is God so good that whatever the outcome, that he can still work good? I don't know how this plays out. I hate watching my own family walk through this. Would do anything to undo that for them. But I want you to hear me say clearly today and forever going forward. Whatever comes, whether it be miracles, healing, whether it be a lengthy stay in the hospital, disabilities, whatever comes, God is good. And God is faithful. And God will bring good. His goodness is not in question. A good God will take difficult circumstances. And he will work good and he will bring glory to himself in this. And I want to tell you, whatever you are walking through, trust God for the best. Don't be afraid to ask him for that. I am not shying back. We are not shying back from asking God to do exactly what we want him to do. But to trust him with the outcome. And you can too. And it's actually a comfort to know that while the outcome is unclear, the goodness of God is crystal clear. And if God is as good as we know that he is. We can trust him with the future. We can trust him with our kids. We can trust him with our grandkids. We can trust him with our marriages. With our health. With our futures. We don't have to be afraid. There's a part of us that may want to go. Well that's not comforting. You're not telling me it's going to turn out the way that it's supposed to. That it's going to, you're going to get what you're asking for. I hope we do. I hope I stand up here and in weeks and months to come tell you of the miraculous things that God has done to just make a body well and right. That's exactly what I hope is going to happen. But if it doesn't happen that way, I'm committed to declaring the goodness of God and resting in the goodness of God and watching Him work good. And we all can do that together. We all need to do that together because He is good. He'll take the bitter, he'll work it in the batter, and he will make us better. I'm not crazy about this fact, but I have found it to be the truth. The most important things that God has taught me and worked into my life did not come through big blessings and, and ease and wealth and comfort. It came through hardship. It's the hard times that teach us the most. So it's okay that we all are going to walk through some hard seasons. God's going to use those. I close with two verses for us. It's kind of a, a guide to steer us as we pray. first one's from Psalm 119. David says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Give me a new life in your ways. Renew my life with your goodness. Some of us need a fresh start. Some of us need some life renewal that's built on the goodness of God. Why don't you just begin to pray that this week? Lord, would you renew my heart? Would you renew my small group? Would you renew my church? Lamentation 5.21 is the final word I'll bring, leave with you today. It says, 
Bring us back to you, God. We are ready to come back. Give us a fresh start. Isn't that a great word? Boy, there are some watching and listening online, some of us in the room, that needs to be your prayer today. Today is the day. Just pray that, oh God, bring us back to you. We are ready to come back. Give us a fresh start. Would you join me as we go to the Lord together in prayer? I truly want us to go together in prayer. If you're watching and listening online, don't let the fact that you're not in the room with me interfere. Would you bow before the Lord? Why don't you just pray that prayer? Oh, Lord, would you just bring us back to you? We're ready for a fresh start. Would you renew us? Would you renew in us? Would you renew in my heart a desire to know you and to trust you, to trust in your goodness? Maybe if you're honest, you realize that that you've just at times really questioned the goodness of God because life has been hard and you have been hurt and it's just been hard to feel or see a good God in the middle of what's going on. Why don't you be honest with God about that? He will not be offended. In fact, he'll just love the fact that you're opening your heart to him and telling him what you're thinking. Would you ask him just to give you a fresh start? God, we need you. We need a fresh start with you. Help us. Maybe you need for the very first time in your life to get a fresh start with Jesus. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has made a way for you to be right with him. Would you trust today that Jesus has already paid the price for your sins and that if you'll just ask him, he'll forgive your sins. They'll come in your life and make you new. It's yours for the asking. Would you just ask him, Jesus, would you come in my life? Would you forgive my sins? Would you take control of me and my future? Would you make a different person out of me? you give me a clean slate and a fresh start today? Oh, Jesus, would you fill the lives of those of us opening ourselves to you with your Holy Spirit? Make us new. Put a hunger and a thirst in us to know, trust, and follow you. And we'll thank you for that. We pray this with grateful hearts, Jesus, in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today.